Well, good morning. Thank you, Seth, for your kind words introducing me. And thank you to you and to Pastor Brian for this opportunity to stand here before you. Uh, it's very special, very unique to me and my family as well. And so, just in two words, thank you. And uh, before we get into the text, I have to disappoint some of you because it has been brought before me a couple times uh, and I was asked whether I would preach this sermon in German. And I have to apologize. Um, uh, I decided to go uh, with English this time to, um, especially for those of you whose German is not quite there yet. Um, and so I'm hoping that in English it'll benefit everybody in this room. And so I also want to note uh, before the sermon that uh, as some of you are visiting or are new or just over the past years we, have, we did not get to meet each other or get to know each other, but I just wanted to note that this sermon is a little bit different because of the occasion. Therefore, for me, it is um, a lot more emotional than any other sermon, so please understand. And at the end of the sermon, I hope that you can see why it is more emotional for, for me to preach the sermon to you this morning. This morning. <clears throat> so before we get into the text, I wanted to pray with you. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you now to open your word and to look at what you have for us this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would help me to be faithful to the text, that I would not use it for my own agenda, but that I would faithfully proclaim it as it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Your Lord, Use me that I may give light that gives heat. Not like the moon that gives light but does not give heat. But Lord, let me proclaim this word in a way that is understandable and clear to those who are listening. And that you would use my weakness uh, for your strength and for your glory. For the edification of your people and the advancement of your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. So before reading the text for this morning, I want you to consider a question. It's a twofold question that just you can answer for yourself and keep in mind as we go through this text together. And the question is simply this. What are you thankful for? And then who are you thankful to? So just for yourself, think of something you're thankful for. And then think about who you are thankful to for that uh, thing or, or person or situation that came to mind for you. And today's text that I wanted to read with you comes from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his second letter, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. And Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Spirit. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love for, of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith 
in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So, as the letter clearly states, it is a letter written by Paul and those accompanying him to the church in Thessalonica. And in order to better understand and let Scripture explain the background of this text to us, I wanted to read Acts 17, verses 1 through 9 for you, and they'll also be up on the board for you to follow along. So this is talking about Paul and his companions. And it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who, you've turned, who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So this was the situation that Paul and these men with him were in. And this passage describes to us uh, what the situation was like in Thessalonica when Paul went and proclaimed the gospel to them and then started this church that he's now writing a second letter to. And we can know a little bit of what was going on in Paul's heart when we look at 1 Thessalonians where we see that he loved this church. And he mentions his desire to see them again even though his circumstances did not allow him. And then Paul writes that he just could not bear it any longer. He wanted to know how they were doing, and so he sent Timothy to find out how they were doing in their faith. And he wanted Timothy to exhort them in their faith. And then we read in 1 Thessalonians that Timothy actually brought back good reports. And so this is then when Paul writes his second letter, and in the second chapter of this letter, we can see that Paul really needed to clear up some confusion on top of the other things that he's saying to them. Because when they were there, they were teaching them all kinds of things, the, the basis of their faith. And then it seemed like the Thessalonians were just confusing some things about Christ's return. And so we see that one of the reasons Paul writes this letter is to clear up some of that confusion. But we won't get to that uh, today, we will just cover the first four verses, and we'll, just two, we'll see two things this morning. And the first thing that we'll see in verses 1 and 2 is the foundation of Paul's message. We'll see the foundation of Paul's message in verses 1 and 2. And actually, it's not just the foundation of his message, it's the foundation of the entire Bible and all of Christianity. When we look in verse 1, we see that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, 
the, uh, Paul being the author of this letter, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. So he's just showing us who is writing to whom in this situation. And it might have thrown you off that I read about a, a man named Silas in Acts 17, but Silvanus is just another way of saying the name Silas. So this is the same person uh, that was with Paul in Acts 17. And also note that he's writing to the church of the Thessalonians. So a church being a body of believer, a group of locals who believed in the gospel and who met together on a regular basis. And at this time, he was writing to the Thessalonians. But when we read this text this morning, because this text is inspired by God, it is still beneficial to us. It is still beneficial to bodies of believers in the 21st century, just like we are. And note how he says here, it is a church in God our Father. It is the same terminology that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer when he says, uh, Father in heaven. And it's, it's this very familial aspect that is only found in the Christian faith, that you can call God your Father. And it also, for this church in Thessalonica, it shows them that we are all part of a big family. Fisherville, we are just part of one big family of believers, even though... We're gathering in a physical place this morning, and the Thessalonians were gathering in a physical place 2,000 years ago. We are still part of this one family with one Father who is God. And so I think this gives them an early comfort, because as we saw in Acts, this church was in a difficult situation. They didn't have it easy in this time. And so he's telling them, God is your Father. That is great comfort right from the beginning. And also note, when you think about Thessalonica, a secular uh, city in the first century, there was all kinds of gods that they were worshiping. They would worship idols. They would worship ideas or, or the Greek gods. And none of them are like God the Father. They are feared. And what they do might be uncertain. You never know one day... They might do something good for you. Another day, they might hate you. And Paul here is presenting a message to a church in God of who is like a father. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as many letters in the New Testament start like this or in a similar way, you can quickly just, just browse over that. You can think of that as you, this morning, as you came into the church, you were passing people, and you were just say, oh, hey, how are you? Good, good, how are you? And you might just read quickly over this and think, well, Paul, Paul's just basically asking them, hey, how's it going, guys? But that would be uh, false, and that would be wrong to just glance over this very, very important statement, because there's a lot more than just a form of greeting, because what this is, is this idea of grace. This idea of showing kindness to somebody. And note how it comes from God. And somebody wrote that we could say that the grace of God results in peace with God. 
So that's exactly what we see here. And this peace that Paul is writing about is not some just inner feeling of peace or an emotional tranquility. But what this is, is a peace with God. Like Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 1, he says, Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a peace, a relationship with God that comes through Jesus Christ. It is the only hope and the only foundation that the Thessalonians have. And that exactly is the message that Paul was proclaiming to them in Acts 17 when he first came with these men with him. And they were proclaiming to them, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, the gospel of God. That's what this is, that because of God's grace, you can have peace with him. And this idea of grace and peace summarizes the entire gospel in that grace summarizes the saving work of God through Christ. Romans 3 tells us that it is grace that justifies as gift through Christ's redemption. And it is in Ephesians 2, verse 8, where Paul writes that it is by grace you have been saved. So what he is saying here that it is only by grace that anyone can be saved. And note in the latter part of the verse, again, something we can just quickly read through is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I've, I've heard that. But what he's saying here is that God and Jesus Christ, who are both working in salvation, are equal. That is a very important statement, especially at that time. We can sometimes grow dull and just so used to something like this, but don't quickly browse over that, that he is saying Jesus Christ and God are equal, making Jesus God. And so what Paul is doing here is he is just, in two words, in grace and peace, he is presenting the entire message that he's been preaching to them. It, and this message is that only through Christ, only through faith in him and his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, can anybody be saved. And as I said, the, the first two verses show exactly that, the foundation of Paul's message, which is this idea of grace and peace with God. There's, there's absolutely no other way. He's presenting this to a church that is surrounded by other ideas of salvation. And you may think, well, we don't worship idols. We don't worship little wooden statues or, or metal statues that we, we set up in our living room. But we live in a culture where we do worship all kinds of false gods. You can fill in the blank of what you spend your time on, your, your money, your effort, your thoughts. And so Paul is showing us here, there, none of these things, nothing else, nothing you can think of will save you. But it is only by the grace of God that you can have peace with him. And it is through the work of Jesus Christ. And so that is not only the message that Paul presents, but that is the message that, that I want to present to you. And as Seth has mentioned, we're, we're going to present this message to another people at another place on this earth. 
And so that is the message, that there's only one way to be saved. It is by the grace of God um, to have peace with him. And as we have spent a few years at Fisherville now, and as it is just impossible in a crowd like this, I know that there are some this morning who do not have peace with God. There are some here in this room who do not have the peace with God that Paul is describing here and in other places of the scriptures. And so, if that describes you this morning, if you do not believe that God graciously forgave you um, through Christ and that you can have peace with Him because of that work with Christ, I want to plead with you this morning. I want to ask you to repent of your sins and to turn to Christ and to believe in Him for salvation so that you can have this peace. That you can be the recipient of these beautiful words, grace and peace to you. Because this is not something to be taken lightly. In verse 9 of the same book, of the same chapter, Paul writes this. He's talking about those who do not believe in this message that he has been proclaiming. And he says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So note here, he's saying that if you do not believe this message, there is eternal destruction and it is a destruction that is away from the presence of the Lord. That is the worst place you can be at this morning. When, you, when, when Christ returns or when you die and you stand before your Creator, and when you stand before Jesus and He might say to you, Depart from me. I never knew you. That is the worst place to be in this morning and when you face God. So as we see these beautiful words to some, but words of warning to others, I just want to ask you, which, which group are you a part of? Do you believe that God, by His grace, has made peace with you because of the completed work of Christ? And then Paul goes on in verses 3 and 4. He goes on with the order and reason for his message. So in verses 3 and 4, we see the order and the reason of Paul's message. And what he does here is something that's very common for Paul. He gives thanks to God and to the church, and he mentions some specific things. He does this in several other letters of the New Testament as well. And he says here, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. And he uses this word here, you ought to. That is something you have to do. That is, that is an obligation. Paul's, Paul felt this obligation to be thankful to God because of the faithfulness of the Thessalonians. And then secondly, I want you to note who he gives thanks 
thanks to. As I asked you earlier, if there's something you're thankful for, who do you give thanks to? And note what Paul does here when he says, I give thanks to God for you. And he does the same just in uh, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. And then he says, as is right. It is the appropriate thing to do. And when I think about this, a story comes to mind when after I graduated and we went to lunch with my parents and I didn't expect this, but as we were starting our lunch, they pulled out a letter to me and I read the letter and then they all said a little gift. And so I Unexpected of, of such a blessing, I opened this gift, and it turned out that it was a very, very, very nice pen. And if you know me, you know that I carry my little pencil case with these nice pens around, and now I was able to add that very nice pen that even had my, my name engraved on it, and it was just a wonderful gift that I received, and I was just immediately thankful. Now, what, what do you think I did? What would you do if you were in this situation and you received something and you're just so thankful? Do you think I, I took the pen and I just rubbed myself on it and I said, oh, thank you, pen. Oh, you're so good. I love you. No, obviously that's not what I did, but as all of you would do as well, I got up and I gave my mom and my dad a big hug because I was thankful to them for giving me this nice pen that I enjoyed. And so... What Paul is doing here is the same thing. He does what everyone ought to do. The right thing to do is he gives thanks to God. Because even though it is the Thessalonians doing the work of the ministry and, and they're doing a lot of good things, it is God who is at work here. And that's what Paul is acknowledging. And, and he's saying thanks be to God because he's at work. And in the same way, Psalm 107, verse 8 says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So that is the appropriate response. The first thing to do is to thank God for the work that he is doing. And then Paul gives us reasons why he is thankful. When he says, because, and he lists their faith that is a growing abundantly and their love for everyone, that is increasing. And so this, this idea of faith here, this idea of trust, is something that, as I mentioned before, that was something Paul was very concerned with. In the, in the first letter to the Thessalonians, we see that he was greatly concerned with their faith, and, and he even sent Timothy to go and, and check up on them. And so it was a great concern of his, and now he has heard the good report from Timothy and he knows that their faith is growing abundantly. It is increasing above measure. And this faith that is growing is something that's not, that, is, that happened once and then it stopped. It is an ongoing growth that Paul is descri describing here. It's not a faith that, that grew maybe by 10% and then they measured it and they okay, good, you're, you're growing in faith. He said, this is ongoing and continual growth in faith. And so when you hear that, and when I think about that, 
That means that our faith also can never just stop. There's not an amount of faith that you can reach and then, and then you're done. But our faith, just like when you think about a, a young newborn baby outgrowing its clothes, that happens continually. And so in the same way, your faith, if you're a believer this morning, should not, grow, should not stay, but should continually grow. And then you might ask, well, we're talking about faith here. That is something in your heart. You can't go up to somebody and just pull out a thermostat and, and just measure their faith. But the Bible does give us categories of how we can actually measure faith. In James 2, he says that real faith produces works. We see fruit of faith all over the New Testament. And in John 13, Jesus is telling his disciples that your love for one another will be the, the visible and physical manifestation of your faith in me. So even though faith is something that does come from the heart, and it is something in the heart, it is something that is visible, you will see it. And as we've been here for uh, a few years now, we have indeed, and I have seen this faith grow in fishable the same way that Paul is describing here to the church of Thessalonica. And when I was thinking about this, I thought that God sometimes uses means to grow our faith. And he uses people to grow our faith. And so when I think about this church, I cannot help but think about two men that I think are very influential. They're not the only people in this congregation, but there's just two men that came to mind for me that I think play a very big part in this faith growth in Fisherville. And the first and probably obvious one is our pastor. When he comes up here every week and just faithfully preaches God from the scriptures. You get to know God better. You get to learn more about the scriptures. And so your faith can grow. And I believe that it has grown and that that is visible in your lives. And in the same way, a little bit more subtle though, I think is, is another man that has helped you to grow your faith. And I think that is the work that Seth is doing every morning when he leads you in worship. Because he chooses songs, not because they will entertain you or, or tickle your ears, but he chooses songs that talk about God and the work that he has done. And so both of these men, as I said, they're not the only people there are just two examples that I, that I chose. They are very influential and used by God to grow the faith of Fisherville. And it is by being so faithful to God's word in a world where it's all about entertainment and it's all about numbers and it's all about getting people in. They don't care about that. They care about God and to proclaim him and Christ crucified. So that is one way that the faith has grown here. And that is one way I thank God for the faith growth in Fisherville. But then Paul goes on and he says that the love for, of every one of you for one another is increasing. 
So this idea of increasing is that you have more than enough. You have excess. And actually in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, I'll read that to you where he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. So what we see here is a direct answer to prayer. Paul's prayer was for their faith and their love to grow. And here we see that God was faithful and answered that prayer. And again, just like um, the faith, this love is also ongoing and continually growing. It is not a love that just grows once and then it arrives, but it is just ongoing, continually growing. And that is a direct result of their faith. Just like Jesus said, your, faith, your love will increase and will show that you are actually my disciples. In the same way here, what Paul is describing is your faith is growing. Well, that means your love is growing. And so, just like Paul was able to hear this report from Timothy that, that made him have such high words for the congregation, for me also that has been just a very evident thing to see at Fishable is that your love for one another has grown, has grown. And as I think is the testimony of all the people I've asked, and probably you're thinking the same right now, but when we first walked into that door, to this very moment, we have been loved. And so that is not just the testimony of this church, it is the testimony of this church here in Fisherville. And there's just so many different ways that Fisherville does this. Um, and one, Seth already mentioned that you have decided to support us uh, for our time in Germany. But there's also so many other ways um, that you can think of how you've been loved here. And here are just a few that I thought of uh, as I was thinking about just your love for us as a family. Is As I said, when we first walked in, maybe it's just the way we are greeted. You can even see and sense this love. It is just all the gifts that we've received, all the um, support and gifts that we've received over time. There, there are different examples, and, and you know what you have done for us. And, and those are just such wonderful blessings. I come from a country where a baby shower is not very common. There, it's starting up a little bit, but, but it's not something that we're used to, and so, or at least I'm not used to. And so to be able to experience that, to see my wife be blessed in so many different ways through a baby shower. That was so wonderful. And that's just, I think, a physical manifestation of your love for us. Or after the birth of our baby, the meal train. Just having people take time, cook a meal. That's, that's on your own time. You didn't have to do that. And yet, so many of you took the time and then drove all the way over to our house and delivered it. And again, those are just a few examples that we have seen the physical love official for us. And so, for that, all I can say again is thank you. And then Paul continues with a few more reasons of why he is uh, thankful.
He goes on in verse 4. He says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. And so, what we can see here is when Paul is talking, it's just a, the strong emotional bond that he has and his companions have uh, to the church in Thessalonica. Because it's not normal that you know, a church planter would go around and, and boast about the church. But he says, we ourselves boast about you because the reports he's received, the testimony of the church, he just can't help it but speak highly of them. And this idea of boasting here, this idea that, that he's taking pride in them, that's not something negative. You know, sometimes you, may, you might boast in something and then you might say, well, look at what I have. Look at this really fast car. Look at what you have. That, you'll never catch up to me. Look at my car. You know, that, that is a wonderful car. And so that, that is a boast in which you are, you're just making somebody else feel bad. But that's not what Paul is doing here at all. In other letters, he mentions um, how the grace of God has been given to the churches of Macedonia which is where Thessalonica was at the time. And he says also, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in Galatians 6, he said, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So that is the kind of boasting that Paul is doing here. He's not making somebody feel bad, but rather he is comforting them. As we saw in Acts 17, this church was persecuted. They were going through tremendous trials. And here he's saying, look, I know you probably don't sense any of this, but I'm boasting about you. You are so faithful. You're such a wonderful example. And I'm going to tell everyone that I run into about you. And so when I think about this idea of boasting, again, in a, in a way that it can be used positively. I think as, we, as our son is now four months old, and as some of you may have said, that, that he appears to be pretty cute. And we're just so happy to have him, and, and I'm so proud of him. I know he hasn't achieved anything or done anything, but when I hold him, whether it's here at church or, or somewhere else, I'm just so proud of him. And if you give me a chance, and if you ask me about it, about him, then I'll boast about him. I'll say good things about him. I'll say, I'm, I'm so happy that I have him. But I'm not doing that so that I, I'm, I'm not saying with that, that well, but, and then, <laughs> your kid. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to make somebody feel bad. And I'm not saying, look at this. Look, you don't have that. But I'm just saying, no, look, I'm just, I'm just happy to have him. And I'm so thankful to God. And I'm just going to boast about him. And so that, I think, is what Paul is doing here. He is saying, look, you're just so faithful. You're so wonderful. I'm just going to boast about you. And so when I think about this church and when I think about leaving this church, then I think, man, wherever we go, we will boast about you. We will boast about your faithfulness and your love and your care. And so just like Paul is doing here, we will go and we will tell other people about Fisherville. And Paul wasn't able to see it firsthand, but we've been blessed 
to be, to be here and to see firsthand. And then we can tell these examples of how you have been so faithful. And he continues on then by giving reasons why he is boasting about them. He says it is for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Somebody once said, persecution, pressure, and trials will always reveal the genuineness of your faith. And here, I do want to make a clear distinction between the text and the situation that the Thessalonians were in and then our current situation at this church. Because they were being persecuted. And it was over a period of time, even though we don't know exactly how long it was, but they were persecuted for their faith. And we can say, by God's grace, that Fisherville at this point, is not being persecuted because of its faith. But what that shows us is just how remarkable this testimony of Thessalonica is. How remarkable their faith is in a time like this. And that should help us to strive to have faith like this and no matter what the circumstances may be. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, The blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And later on, he tells his disciples that you will be hated for my name's sake. In Acts, we read that this author of this, of this letter actually was once persecuting the church. And then, as I've mentioned before, this church is being persecuted at the time of this writing. So when you hear about that, it may sound very distant. And I'm just being honest when I say it, it is distant for me. I don't know what it's like to be physically persecuted. But it should remind us that there are churches that are gathering this morning or have gathered somewhere in the world and they are indeed being persecuted. And that reminds us that we need to pray for them and care about them, and be mindful of the fact that they are being persecuted. But at the same time, it also means that if Jesus said that we'll be persecuted, if, if the New Testament talks about persecution, then you don't know when that might be part of your life, that you may be persecuted for your faith in the future. Because God can use trials and tribulations to test the faith of believers. So this can happen to any church. But know that we don't have time to look further, but in verses 5 and following, Paul is actually assuring them that it is all under God's control. God is over all, and neither their sufferings nor their bearing under their sufferings should be interpreted other than in the light of this great fact, that God is over all. He is in control. No matter what the circumstance of the church may be, whether it's in Thessalonica, or whether it is in Fisherville, God is in control of these things. Because sometimes we, in our time, we think of suffering as just something so bad that just ought to never happen to us. And that could never be God um, who is involved in any of that. But actually, as we see from the testimony of God's word, is that it can be a means by which God works his eternal purposes. So just be mindful of that as you read about a church like the Thessalonians. And then as I was thinking about trials and uh, these tribulations, 
as I said, we, we're not experiencing persecution here, but I know that there are people in this room, and we have seen and been with people who have suffered greatly, not for their faith as a, as a result of persecution, but I cannot help but think of, of those situations and at this church. Because as I'm thinking about all the things that we've seen, experienced here, that is one of the great tools that God has used uh, to teach both my wife and I, is just to see faithful people go through difficult times to, um, through trials and uh, tribulations. We saw those who have a spouse who is sick or was sick, and just every day, every week, you care for them. And you try to be faithful in the midst of that. And we have seen that, and we are truly thankful for that. We have seen uh, one of my heroes of the faith uh, when, when Robert was diagnosed and uh, suffered and then eventually departed from us. And then we were also able to be uh, with the singletons, even though we know that the doctors were wrong. But that didn't change the situation that they were in and the great uh, trials that they faced. And we were able to just sit there in the first row and watch just seeing God's people responding in faith and seeing their love and their faith grow. And for that, we will forever be uh, thankful. And so what we saw from this text, we saw in the first two verses that Paul is presenting one message. Paul is presenting the gospel that by the grace of God, you can have peace with God. And it is only through faith in Christ. And so this morning, just think about that statement. Is that something that describes you? Is that your faith? Does that describe you? And we further saw that God, that, that Paul is thankful to God, first of all. And then he's thankful for the work that God is doing. And though we can sit here and just, just think about all the good things that I've mentioned, also think about, if that is describing you, are you in your, the people that you know, the people that you spend time with here at Fishville, are you loving them? Are you caring for them and about them? And so I just wanted to use this opportunity to say thank you for your love and faithfulness. Thank you for caring for us. And thank you for being our family. And I want to close with the words that Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5 and verse 16, where he says this, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you and the work that you are doing in this church. We're thankful that you are growing the faith of the people, the believers here, and you are growing their love for one another. Lord, we thank you that we can be part of that at this very moment. 
And so I pray that you'd continue to work in the church of Fisherville, that you would continue to let the faith and love of the people grow, that no matter what the circumstances may be, Lord, that you would use them to further your kingdom and to uh, let them be faithful in the midst of these circumstances. We want to praise you. We want to thank you, first of all. We also want to thank you for this church. Thank you for your word and that we were able to see it this morning. I pray that you would touch the hearts of those present in their specific situation and specific needs. Do this by the power of your spirit and in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen.